There's a break in the case, David. Okay, okay. Which case? Because we have we have the llama case. Yep. We have the uh, the ju the Swedish jewel heist. Yeah. Did they ever find the guy who uh, dug his way into the gas station to steal a coke? <laughs> I think they found him day one. They found him, and yeah. I, I I know I'm missing one. I know I'm missing one. Sir Lancelot. Oh. The, the, our, no, uh, do you mean the guy who jumped into Shark Tank naked? Yes, our Canadian skinny dipping friend. Um, so he didn't get uh, apparently too far. I think uh, our listeners maybe helped track him down. That's good that we sent that story out there then. Yeah, Toronto police, they uh, they found his vehicle. They identified him as, uh, I, I won't say his name. I'm not going to give him the, the publicity. We've already given him enough. That's okay? I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, but Don't want to sensationalize. <laughs> Shark aquarium, skinny dipping. Yeah, but he he was found in in Thunder Bay, which I think anyone who skinny dips with sharks and gets into a fight at medieval times, um, the appropriate layer for such a criminal is Thunder Bay. And is that like went wild with like all the water slides and stuff like that? Is that Thunder Bay? What is Thunder Bay? I don't know. I. I, I choose not to look it up because I have an image of what it would be in my head, and I don't want to ruin that. It could be like a concert venue. Yeah. So um, I don't know why I went concert venue. That was really lame. Did I ruin the image in your head now? No, I actually wasn't listening to you. Cool. Okay. So he, uh, he's been charged with, uh, let's see, he was charged with assault, causing bodily harm, and two types of, I like this, mischief. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of what were the two types of mischief. I got the one, skinny dipping naked with sharks. Oh, oh, you consider that mischief? I, well, what do you consider it? I don't know. He enjoyed it. Maybe he's just trying to have a good time. Is it normal Tuesday in Canada? I thought so. Okay. But assu assuming the skinny dimpin' naked in, a, in an aquarium with sharks is, is mischief number one, what's the second mischief? I don't know. Another mystery for us to solve. Will we ever close a case completely? Ever. Um, I hope not. I hope we. I hope this is like the Goosebumps Choose Your Own Adventure, and we never have closure. I hope we just keep getting further and further down the rabbit hole. So uh, he was. He was. Uh, <laughs> his bail. He he posted bail. Thousand um, dollar bail. So wait, wait a thousand a, Canadian dollars. Yeah, so that's like thirteen bucks American. Right. I think that's. Wait. Let me do the math. Yeah, that checks out. Thirteen dollars American. And it, it is part of his uh, his bail. He, uh, he can't get within 100 meters of the aquarium <laughs> or 50 meters of his assault victim, at, at which I'm assuming uh, is the actual Sir Lancelot at medieval times. Makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, well done, Canada. I would love to, to learn more about what other uh, mischief this, this gentleman committed because he's, he's extremely interesting. Uh, but it's nice to know that, that our reporting helped save the nation of Canada. You're welcome, Mounties. This is Subjectively Correct Sports, the only podcast in the known universe featuring a couple of guys talking about sports and Canadian shark tank skinny dippers who beat people up and then post $13 American bail to get out. Among other types of mystery. Yeah. I am interested in this mischief stuff. I wonder what the penal code in Canada says. I wonder the what like, now? The, the penal code. Excuse I me. Wonder, what? What? What's the What's the name of the code? Oh, I don't know. Lawyer guy. What What do you call that code? Help me out I here. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably the, the Queen's rules of etiquette in <laughs> Canada. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, 
Excited to announce that we have a special guest sitting in with us today. Um, our sound editor, our brother Adam Henderson is in here. So if you hear giggles in the back, or if you hear comments flying at us angrily from the back, <laughs> that's Adam. Uh, we're happy to have him, happy to have him visiting. Uh, subscribe on iTunes and Google Play if you haven't already. Uh, send us an email at subjectivelycorrect uh, at gmail.com. No ad at the beginning. Yeah, hit that speed bump there. Yeah. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter at subcorrect. You can catch Anthony at AG Montague on Twitter. And me, I remembered mine. Anthony wrote it down for me. Thank you. It's uh, at DP Henderson 1515. So that's me on Twitter. Uh, a lot going on in sports. I know Anthony has a lot he wants to talk about. I think we want to start with NHL regular season, right? That was the end of a, a period in the <laughs> NHL. That's that's my comment on this NHL season so far. Okay, moving on. All I can say is LA Kings Twitter, very fun follow. Don't know how they're doing as a team, but their Twitter account is uh, has a perfect record in my opinion. Oh, there you go. Do you uh, do you follow Gritty? Uh, no, I'm afraid if I did that, all I would do is follow Gritty. That's good. That's I, would get, I would get sucked in to the, the Gritty zone. That's good self-awareness. But something I know Anthony does want to talk about is uh, Major League Baseball. So we've had some pretty exciting uh, uh, games here the last couple of days. I know Anthony was on the edge of his seat. He thought he might have to be in Ireland during the World Series, didn't you? And so yeah. uh, you were a little worried about that. You thought, well, goodbye sleep. I don't need you anymore because the games are going to be on at, what, like 3 in the morning in Ireland? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, I, I would have maybe got a few hours of sleep and then uh, woken up early to try and catch most of the game. Uh, but luckily, uh, my trip got canceled, and I was able to uh, sit here nervously watching Game 7 of the NLCS. But before we get there, before we get there, let's give the ALCS their due, because I feel like we focus a little bit too much. Maybe not too much. I think we give the appropriate amount of coverage to the Dodgers and the National League, but but maybe not enough to, to the American League. So uh, congrats to the Boston Red Sox. They made it through the American League, uh, finishing off the Astros in five games. I'm sure they appreciate your congratulations. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. They should appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I won't be congratulating them for anything else they do this season. Also, is Major League Baseball keeping the champagne industry alive? You win a tiebreaker, champagne party. You win the division, champagne party. Mm. You uh, you win you win a, a any playoff series, you know the wild card. You win anything, champagne. There's champagne everywhere. Yeah. I mean, do we I, need all that champagne? Make, I, act like you've been there before. Kind of hope these images don't make their way to third world countries. Right? Like they're enjoying the, the glory of sport, right? And then they see these thousands and thousands of dollars being wasted. And it's not even like, like they're drinking the champagne, like maybe a little bit here. They're just spraying it up into the air. I mean, Yasiel Puig isn't even dumping it on like fellow teammates and stuff. He's dumping it on broadcasters, announcers, like reporters coming in there. You see, oh, uh, Kenley Jansen, Jansen was giving an interview, and he came up from behind Kenley, pulled open his pants from behind, and poured the <laughs> champagne down the back. <laughs> oh, I need more Puig in my life. He's heathens. Uh, but yeah, so, so the Red Sox advance, David Price actually got a win, which correct me if I'm wrong. That's his first postseason win. Yeah. That's his first postseason win in 12 postseason starts. That's not stellar, especially when you, can, <laughs> yeah, especially when you consider how much the Red Sox, uh, they, did he sign as a free agent or did they trade for him? I forget. But anyway, they've invested in this player and you got to put up a win every once in a while, right? Yeah. I think he's the highest paid guy on the roster. Oh, goodness. Yeah, you got to get, I mean, at least one win per postseason, please, for yeah. the highest paid guy. But uh, the Astros, 
we all figured the Astros were going to put up a really good fight in this series, but the Red Sox just seemed to be too good all around. Where the Astros would, would have moments where the bats would get hot and they would hit a lot of home runs and stuff like the Astros always do. The Red Sox are just the most consistent offensively, and they had enough pitching to get through the the Astros. So Yeah, you don't win 108 games by accident. I think they proved over the course of the season that they have the depth and they have the talent to, to hang with anyone. And after game one, it looked like the Astros might steamroll them. I think they won like 7-2 in Fenway. And uh but they didn't get another win the rest of the rest of the series, and, and the Red Sox took them down in five. I think the Astros, uh, they're not going away anytime soon, though. They got uh, lots of lots of really young talent on the team. Verlander's still under contract for another year. Uh, be interesting to see a year from now uh, what the what the buzz is on him. If he really f- feels like he has a home in Houston and wants to resign on a team friendly deal, or uh, you know, I'm I'm not really sure what their cap situation is if they could could afford him anyways, but. Uh, or if he moves on to to another contender. So, so we're talking about uh, Justin Verlander, right? Yes. Okay. He will go wherever Kate Upton tells him to go. They will live where Kate Upton wants to live. Mm. I don't think that's too unique to him, though, right? I think that's probably 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 most of us will tell us where our wives tell, we'll we'll go where our wives tell us to go. Well, unless you're. Unless you're Paul George. And if your wife says, I'd love to live in L.A., you go back to... <laughs> but he really enjoys Oklahoma. the fishing in Oklahoma. <laughs> Apparently. Goodness. Yeah. How, how, they've lost all their games so far this season? Who? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get to that. Yeah. Fun. Okay. So something I did want to talk about with this series. So this this uh, Altuve-Mookie Betts play, right? Yes. So I don't know why baseball is the oldest sport, like the or, the oldest major organized sport in America. Mm-hmm. And we still can't figure out fans, the organizations, the league. We can't figure out this fan interference thing. Yeah, the NFL can't figure out what a catch is, and Major League Baseball can't figure out what a home run is. This is just, it's a mess, right? So if you didn't see the play, I'm going to paint a word picture for you. Okay, so here's a picture from my words to describe what happened. So Jose Altuve goes to deep right center, right? Mookie Betts trails it and tracks it. It looks like he's got a really good track on the ball. He jumps up. He's got his arm, his like elbow is above the wall. Looks yeah, like he's he has eight a, feet in the air. Yeah, he's definitely got a chance to catch this ball. Uh, Mookie Betts is one of the best defensive outfielders out there. He gets up there, and as he's floating beautifully, like uh, Matthew McConaughey and Angels in the Outfield, up towards that ball. <laughs> Wait, McConaughey was in Angels in the Outfield? Yeah, yeah, he's the center fielder that gets like carried by the Angels. Yeah, all right. It's like someone had me by the arm, Skip. I didn't realize that. How'd I do that? Was that his, ma- was that his break? Uh, yeah. Wow. So he went from Angels in the Outfield to romantic comedies. To Buick commercials. To Buick commercials and winning Oscars. What a career arc. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you seen... Okay, go back and watch Angels in the Outfield and focus just on his role. I'm not going to do that. It will make perfect sense to you why he became the superstar he is today. Okay. I mean, you don't just get Buick commercials. Yeah. Yeah, they don't just give those away to anybody. Right. I mean, Justin Tucker has Buick commercials. Right. Shaq does. Yeah, does he? I don't know. Tiger Woods. Oh. He's back. What were we talking about? Uh, Altuve. Altuve. So so Mookie Betts is going back to the wall, right? He jumps up, and the ball's coming, the ball's coming. And then an intrepid fan, an Astros (laughs) fan. Intrepid. Yeah. uh, He's thinking, I'm going to get me a souvenir, right? That's a Dodge, not a Buick. So he reaches out and hits the ball when Mookie Betts had a chance to grab it and make the out, right? Yeah. So... 
everyone's thinking the Astros are going crazy, the fans are going crazy, the Astros hit a home run. They review it because the Red Sox wanted them to, and they call it an out instead because of fan interference. And because they were at the Astros ballpark and it was an Astros fan. No, oh yes, that's right. They were. Yeah, yeah. The interference goes in favor of you know the team who, who's visiting yeah. because that, it was an Astros crowd, right? Yeah. So, I mean, does anybody remember Bartman? Yeah, he uh, he played a pivotal role in the uh, for the Chicago Cubs, right? He uh, what was it? It was a game. Was it a game six in the NLCS? It was a big game. Whatever yeah, it was. And I, and I, it, I think they were on the verge. Cubs were on the verge of winning. I, I do remember. Ball. I do remember yeah. Moises Alou had a chance to make that catch. Yeah. But it's just irritating to me that it's years later and fans are still impacting the game on a what feels like too regular of a basis, right? Yeah. Like this doesn't happen in any other sport. Right, but I I do want to defend the fan because I think if the fan thinks that the ball has cleared the fence, right? Once it's cleared the fence, it's fair game for the fan to grab, okay? And and if you're a Houston fan, obviously you want to grab that ball, right? If you're not, if if the if the Astros were playing defense at that time, right? Shame on the fan for trying to touch it, right? Let your player make a play. But if the ball did in fact clear the fence. It should be fair game, and it should not have been fan interference. The problem is there was no conclusive video or photo of of where the ball actually was when the fan made contact with, with Mookie's glove. Okay, so the rule is if the ball clears the wall, if the ball, ball clears the fence, and yeah. the fan touches it, that's not interference. That's my understanding. Okay, see... We just need to get better at getting this replay done then yeah. because... Well, well, they had the perfect shot. They had a camera down the fence, but <laughs> but the shot, in the shot, there's a security guard leaning over to see what's happening. No! And all you see is the back of the security guard. No! He's completely covering what would have been the conclusive photo. Oh, man. Is he fired? Um, yeah, he should, probably should be. Oh, no, poor I guy. Hope he, I hope he isn't fired. Start a well, GoFundMe for him, that guy. Not much going on at Minute Maid Park these days, so he's not working anyways. Ooh. Ouch. Ooh. Hey, thanks for playing uh, 2018 Astros. <laughs> no, you guys had a good season. You'll be back. Don't worry about it. I know some some Astro fans listen to the podcast, and so uh, yeah, I hope they're competitive. You know, I I obviously have my issues with the team because of the you know the post traumatic stress of the of the World Series last year. Wait, what happened last year? Don't talk about it. Um, but. I'm sure. I'm sure they'll be fine in 2019. Altuve was injured this series, so that was a, a bit of a bummer. If he were at full strength, you know, who knows what would have happened. He had surgery the day after the series ended. Wow, on what? On his knee, I think. Oh, not facial reconstruction. Not a nose job. Rhinoplasty. No, none of those. Okay. Just wondering if it was related. It was not. Okay. Why do you think he needs plastic surgery? I don't. You went there right away. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you would go there right away. So the Dodgers won. They're in the World Series. Two years in a row. Yep. Woohoo! I'm sure you're excited about that. Yeah. Um, now, this is weird because your your Dodgers fandom has rubbed off on me. And I've, I've always loved Yasiel Puig. I love Puig so much. He's awesome. Puig, your friend. Yeah, Puig's my friend for sure. But your, your Dodgers fandom has rubbed off on me because you get so excited when they win and they do well that it's hard not to be excited with you. Because we lived... Uh, we lived together last year during the World Series, and so I experienced all that. I got to know all the players' names and stuff like that, and so I started liking a bunch of the players. And Max Muncy's swing, love at first sight for me. That swing, ugh. Hmm. So I become a fan of the Dodgers in a small way, right? Not nearly as big as you, but I'm excited for the Dodgers this year. Yeah, and it, this was a really hard-fought series, but it was emblematic of the entire Dodgers season. Um, 
they Justin Turner got injured in spring training. He was out the first 40 games. They were back in the division nine games early in the season, 10 games under 500 in May. When they entered September, they were in third place in their division. Uh, they go to a game 163, beat the Rockies to win their sixth straight division title. They get to their third straight NLCS, and now they're in their second straight World Series after seven games against Milwaukee, having to win game seven on the road. Uh, it's been it's been a really stressful season, but it's been so worth it. Watching games in in July, staying up till like 1.30 in the morning to watch something, that, to watch a Dodger game that goes into extra innings. And I start questioning, like, why am I doing this? Uh, well, it, feel, it feels worth it now. I mean, it may not feel worth it in a week. And and if I were if I were pressed on my pick right now, I think honestly I'd have to go with the Red Sox in six or seven, just because it's they've got such a talented lineup. But the greatest thing about baseball and the worst thing about baseball is that any team can win any given series. And so it's just a matter of if these bats can. It feels like they were starting to finally heat up towards the end. We got it going. Bellinger got it going. Bellinger actually was the MVP of the National League uh, Championship Series. I think it should have gone to Puig just because he had better stats all around. It was more consistent throughout the series. Had the really big home run in Game Seven. But you can't you can't fault uh, the, the Bellinger pick. He had some huge momentum swinging plays on defense, especially defense. He hit the game winning. Uh, he had the game winning hit, the walk off single in Game Four. And then he had the home run that put them uh, up two to one in, in Game Seven. So can't knock the pick. I'm I'm happy for him. I think that hopefully helps his confidence. Really excited to see what he can do in Fenway with the with that small baby ballpark. Oh man, <laughs> that baby ballpark. They're Muncie Bellinger. They're going to feast at the table of Penske. Yeah, they are. That Penske pole. You, uh, sit by that pole. If you are going to a World Series game and you have a chance to sit by the Penske pole, do it because the balls are going to go out there. So I wonder if there's any takeaways from the Dodgers-Brewers series. Um, because the, the Brewers implement this bullpenning tactic where their starters may be out there two, three innings. Or, or sometimes one, pit, one batter. <laughs> one batter. And, uh, and they rely heavily on their bullpen the rest of, this, the, of the game. And their bullpen this year has been great. It's been one of, if not the best, bullpen in, in the major leagues. And so I guess my question is, did they do it because they didn't have great starting pitching and they could rely on good bullpenning? Or was it the anal- analytics telling them, no, the correct approach here is you only let the pitcher see a lineup once, maybe one and a half, two times, and uh, and then you you introduce a new pitcher. So I don't know if this trend's going to continue. The Rays have done it. The A's have done it. Um, and you remember last year, the Indians kind of revolutionized this like seven, eight, nine, yeah. kind of a thing where they had a different pitcher for the last three innings and they would bring in their closer sometimes in the eighth to face the heart of the lineup and stuff like that. So the Indians did it, but they didn't make it to the World Series either. So they did two years ago. Two years ago, but, but they didn't win it. So it's almost yeah. like, it's almost like this setup with a lot of bullpen pitchers is a great way to do it in the regular season. It'll get you a lot of wins. It'll get you into the playoffs and maybe it'll get a series or two one, but eventually it seems like you run out of pitching yeah. if you're using so many pitchers so often eventually i don't know if it's guys getting tired or what but it's like the pitching gets worn out so it seems like that bullpen tactic of using a lot of relievers and facing one batter sometimes that may help get you a lot of wins but when it comes to playoff series against really good teams it looks like the starting pitchers going late into the game is 
super beneficial for those teams. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I think a lot of it is a product of your your roster. If you have a Clayton Kershaw uh, or Chris Sale, right, or some of these other aces that can get you seven, eight innings of one or two run baseball, I think that's always the preferred approach. Uh, but if you don't have those those arms and the Brewers didn't have that ace this season, then then it maybe does make sense to rely more on your bullpen. So interesting thing to, to see in the offseason, see what the market for relievers is. Uh, starters get huge money and relievers uh, don't. don't they, at least they're, unless you're a, a top flight closer, you're not seeing the kind of money that starters are. I wonder if some of that money gets, gets moved around and you see relievers paid a little bit more, especially these top shelf relievers. Makes sense to me. So I something I'm excited about about the the World Series. I'm excited to see Alex Cora managing because I've been reading a lot about stuff about him and things like that and the way his players respond to him and uh, they're comparing him to Bill Belichick. Well, I uh, mean, the Boston it, Globe is. Oh, is he a curmudgeon as well? Uh, no, he's actually. Uh, I wouldn't call him a curmudgeon. I call him the opposite of a curmudgeon. Uh, an uh, uh, an a curmudgeon? Huh? In curmudgeon? No. Mudgeon. <laughs> Sorry. I think Adam liked that one. That's all. <laughs> Excellent contribution to the pod, Adam. Thank yeah. you so oh, much. I second Mudgeon. <laughs> okay. He's so, just your standard old Mudgeon, just a good old Mudgeon. He is. Alex Cora, just one of the nicest Mudgeons around. Well, no, that's like, that's that's repetitive to call someone a nice Mudgeon. That's right. Yeah. Right? But, I mean... You know, just to like emphasize how nice of a mudgeon he is. Yeah. Okay. He's okay. even he's extra mudgeon. <laughs> he's got so much mudgeon. Anyway, so uh, Christopher L. Gale of the Boston Globe wrote some pretty um, things that caught me off guard about Alex Cora because I don't follow the Red Sox very closely and stuff like that. But listen to some of the things that he said about him. He takes these dense analytics and turns them into decisive actions and obvious advantages. And that's the way these analytics are supposed to be used, right? They're supposed to be used to put your teams in the very best position for them to succeed. And apparently, um, according to Gail from the Globe, Alex Kaur is really good at doing that. But what really impressed me, uh, at least what what was said, is uh, in the article, Gail says, the way the Sox players talk about Cora with admiration and affection is a tone they didn't strike for Farrell, who was their manager before. Mm-hmm. So even though Cora is armed with the same information, has the same players, and in the article it mentions that anymore with all this information that these managers have, it's almost like a color by number type of a situation, right? You have all this information, you have people breaking it down for you, you just... You, you pull the strings when it makes the most sense according to the analytics to pull those strings. It might be a little easier to manage now than it was back in the day when you just had to really hand your gut because you didn't have all the information. So what they're looking for now is people like Cora, managers like Cora, who can relate to the players, who can generate this feeling of team and generate this feeling of we want to work hard here at the park every day, which is something that they said was missing with the previous manager, Farrell, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if, if teams are going to start looking for more managers like that, where you have a young former player who hasn't been out of the league very long, who can relate to the young guys, who can relate to what they're going through as a player, but also just as a young as a young man. And they can relate to them more, and they can connect with them and generate a good 
team atmosphere. I wonder if, if more teams are going to be looking for that kind of stuff instead of the old curmudgeons <laughs> who go by their gut and think analytics are crazy or whatever, you know what I mean, who just don't have good relationships with players. Like, I'm the manager, do what I said because I'm the manager. I think that style of managing yeah. is fading away, and there's going to be more managers like like Cora. Yeah, well, I think I think both managers in in the World Series uh, are like that. You know, Dave Roberts, he was playing, he was on the 2004 Red Sox team that won the World Series, um, had a huge stolen base for them in uh maybe i think it was game four and it, he he is very much like that it, he's his his best skill set is getting the 25 players to buy in to the platoon system that the dodgers have so any given day unless your name's justin turner or manny machado you don't know if you're starting and if you are starting you don't know where you're playing in the field right and that can be very hard as a player to not to not have that consistency to, uh, to not know if you're playing and if you are where you're playing and how to prepare for the game. Um, and so Robert's, uh, his his biggest asset is getting players to, to buy into that, to know that here's what the analytics tell us is the best option for our team today, the best setup for our team today. And, um, you know, there may be, may be grumblings in the locker room, but that's not getting out to us. And everyone seems to, to have bought in really well. And it's, it's hard to argue with uh, when you're in your second straight World Series. So I, I agree. I think... I think the the prototypical manager moving forward is someone who relies on the front office to supply him with the analytics. They uh, they have their cheat sheet in the dugout that tells them what moves to make and when. And um, and for the most part, they're a, a player's manager. Now that's happening in the NBA, right? Young players fresh out of the league getting jobs without any coaching experience. Steve Kerr, Mark Jackson got a job like that right out. Jason Kidd, right? So I think that's going to happen more and more in sports um, all around. I mean, Sean McVay in LA, you know, I think this trend in young coaches who can relate to players and rely on the information, that's going to keep happening in, in all of sports. Yeah. And I'm super excited for this this uh, matchup. You know the last time the Dodgers played the Red Sox in the World Series? Oh, 1916? Hey, how'd you know that? That's exactly right. 102 years ago, they met in the World Series. They didn't meet again until 2002 because there was no interleague play until 1997. And so... The Red Sox and the Dodgers were never in the World Series in the same year during that, you know, 90-something year period. And um, that, that last time they met in 1916, Red Sox won. Game 2 featured a, a young pitching prospect. He uh, threw 13 scoreless innings, pitched 14 innings in a complete game. Went by the name of Babe Ruth. Oh, you mean George Herman Ruth? Yeah, sorry, George Herman Ruth. Yeah, and he was uh, valued more for his pitching at that time than his hitting. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you can go fourteen, if you can go fourteen innings in a win, I, John Smoltz would have loved that era. John loved. Smoltz would have loved to play in that era. He was born eighty years too late. Yes, he was. Um, oh, you know what he is? A curmudgeon. Yeah, super curmudgeon. Extra curmudgeon. Is he extra cur? Extra cur on the mudgeon. Yeah. Is he going to? Call the World Series? He is. Uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz have the World Series. So with the American League, at least, uh, the, the games that, that feature the DH, you're not going to see as many um, uh, as many lineup changes, as many pinch hitters throughout the game. But you will still see a lot of pitching changes. Um, so going back to the, the Dodgers and, and Red Sox 1916 World Series, the Dodgers weren't in L.A. at the time. Obviously, they were still in Brooklyn, and they weren't even the Dodgers yet. What were they? They were the Brooklyn Robins. How about that? Yeah. They were later changed the name of Dodgers, moved to L.A., uh, and uh, 
Yeah, I'm excited. This is a historic World Series, and I think MLB is super happy. They could have had Houston, Milwaukee, and they ended up with LA, Boston. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they all did dances up in yeah. the uh, the stands, and maybe they uh, asked a security card to jump in front of a camera. Maybe. I think the only better matchup they could have had would have been Dodgers Yankees, uh, just because of the New York market. I think New York's going to watch this anyways, but I think most of the country is going to be pulling for the Dodgers because. The Red Sox have been in it so much lately. They've won, what, three World Series in the past 14 years. So we have Red Sox fatigue? I think we have Red Sox fatigue. And it's not like you can say the Red Sox are the underdog. The Dodgers are the underdog by wins, right? The Red Sox have the bigger payroll, right? That's never that, that You wouldn't have thought that coming into the season that the Dodgers would face someone in the World Series with a smaller, with a bigger payroll. Because there are only two teams in the league with a bigger payroll, <laughs> right. right? The Yankees and the Red Sox, right? Yeah, and so, and so the, yeah, the Red Sox have... Um, they're over 300 million. The Dodgers luckily stayed under it. No, yeah, good. They just snuck under that 300 million mark. Barely. Goodness. Yeah. So I could see if you're a small market fan, you probably hate both teams and maybe don't watch. You want both teams to lose. But if you're, uh, if you're in a big market, if you're a Yankee fan, you're pulling for the Dodgers, right? If you're, uh, any other fan of any, uh, you know, any other big market, maybe except San Francisco. I got the people in San Francisco probably rooting for the Red Sox. But either way, I think this is going to bring in eyeballs. I think this is going to be a, a very well-watched World Series. And just to put it in perspective how, at least in the L.A. market, how hot the Dodgers are, the Game 7 of the NLCS was up against the Lakers' home opener, which was on ESPN. The Dodgers game was on FS1, which is a channel I've verified. Sorry, say that say that channel again for us. FS1. Oh, okay. Is that where ESPN employees go after they quit ESPN? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. um, and the, the Dodger game had three times the viewers that the Laker game had for the L.A. market. Whoa. Yeah. And L.A. is very much a Laker town. And yeah. everyone's super excited about LeBron, um, but they still pulled in more eyeballs for the Dodgers. I think Dodgers, Dodger mania is running, running hot right now in L.A. And I really hope they, they pull it out. Again, like I said... I'm not super confident, not as confident as I was last year. I thought there was no way the Dodgers would lose last year and just didn't appreciate the skill <laughs> to the talent of the Astros. So I'm, I'm trying to maybe reverse jinx it this year. So we'll see, what, we'll see what happens. So, Adam, I have about 15 more minutes on baseball. Should we keep going with baseball or should we move on? <laughs> you dirty curmudgeon. Guess we're moving on. All right, friends. It's that time. It's that time of the week. It's David's Hot Take. It's David's Hot Take Minute. I like it. And it's David's Hot Take Minute. Brought to you by Crest Smile More. Okay, David, go ahead. It's your Hot Take Minute. I don't think we can do that. Do what now? I don't think we can advertise crest if they haven't like don't have an agreement with us we haven't how does that work oh a crest of a like a mountain crest not yeah there's a, there's a guy who owns a, a mountain <laughs> so dumb and he wanted oh my God. i mean whatever pays the bills am i right so you contacted a guy who owns the crest brought to you by mountains You want me to go Three, now? two, one. Our listener might remember that I was worried that the NBA regular season would be less interesting than the regular season. This almost, hap- this almost never happens, but I was wrong. The Jazz almost beat the Warriors. <laughs> Silly Jazz. No one is allowed to beat the Warriors. 
the universe will make you miss 27 straight three-pointers before it allows you to beat them. Lonzo Ball hit the weight room in the offseason. One step closer to looking like his real daddy, Bartolo Colon. Seriously, look at young Bartolo Colon. Someone needs to look into this. LeBron had the beginning to game one he needed to make Lakers fans lose their minds. You know that, we have the best player ever on our team, kind of lose your minds. Then the rest of the team helped remind the fan base that they still have a long way to go. Now the Lakers will be exciting, they will make the playoffs, they will make it out of the first round. It takes time to learn how to play with LeBron, but if J.R. Smith can learn how, I'm sure Kuzma, Ingram, Ball, and Hart can. Just don't forget the score and cost your team the game, causing LeBron to lose his temper and angrily punch a wall and break his hand, and you should be fine. Speaking of angry punches, the Rockets-Lakers fight reminded me of the time the Filipino national basketball team fought the Australian, uh, the Australian national team and took selfies afterwards. Awesome. This Lakers-Rockets fight took place in October. Imagine if these teams meet in the playoffs. I'm so excited for the NBA playoffs this year. Well, the Western Conference playoffs. I saw someone saying that Gordon Hayward wasn't looking good in the preseason and that he was worried about how, how, how Hayward would play in the regular season. Please stop treating the preseason with more importance than the athletes do. Those games are worth about as much as a Carmelo Anthony contract. Or a wide open Ben Simmons 3. Or a G League championship. Or a Summer League MVP. Or a, Mar or, or a Markel Fultz free throw. Or a Raptors playoff series against a LeBron team. Or a J.R. Smith offensive rebound with the game tied and time running out. I'm sorry to pick on J.R. Smith. <laughs> no, I'm not. Not really. Puig is one of the funnest things in sports. Bellinger won the MVP in the NLCS, but Puig is the MVP of my sports heart. Wait, that's Aaron Rodgers. Or is it Max Muncy's swing? I'm confused. I need to think about this for a while. The Browns have played four overtime games this year. It's week seven. The Browns are the most progressive losers in the NFL. They always find new ways to break fans' hearts. Kareem Hunt is scary. Tyreek Hill is scary. Travis Kelsey is scary. Andy Reid's upper lip is hairy. Patrick Mahomes is a lucky quarterback. Could you imagine Aaron Rodgers with any of those guys? I mean, just two of them. Yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP of my heart. Well, my sports heart. My wife has the rest of it. Oh, and, uh, and Muncie Swing. And Peyton Manning. Peyton, huge fan. I guess I just have a lot of sports love to go around. Dun -dun 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 -dun. Well done, David. I do have some objections to what you said about the Lakers, but I'll withhold for now. Um, I think LeBron needs to learn how to play with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But speaking of NBA, the NBA season has started. And um, Warriors, still good. Still good. Um, the Nuggets, off to a great start. 3-0. They beat the, the Warriors. Um, Thunder, they look real bad. Yeah. Like, 0-3 bad. Like, giving up 131 points to the Kings on your own court bad. Okay, and no, you heard that correctly. Anthony didn't make a mistake. They they dropped... Okay, the Kings dropped 130 points on them at home. Okay, real quick, listener. Name five Kings players. Go. I'm going to Google that and see if Google can name five <laughs> players. Siri? Hey, Siri? Siri won't even respond. She knows what's coming. Uh, no one, not even the coach of the Kings can name five Kings players. <laughs> okay. uh, and the Lakers, yeah, they don't look great yet. They're 0-2, but everyone needs to just simmer down. I wish there was a word 
that I, if I could just think of the word, like don't get don't get too worried about it. It's so early. There's time. Like, oh, I've got it. Five letters here, just for everybody out there in Packerland and yourself today. R E L A. Relax. We're going to be okay. So let's just take our cue from Aaron Rodgers and R-E-L-A-X, relax, okay? Oh, yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP of my heart. I knew that would convince you. Um, But one thing I am not very relaxed about was uh, something that took place in the Lakers-Rockets game from Saturday night. Fresh off the Dodgers' victory, I thought, great, let's tune into the the rest of the Lakers game, uh, see how my boys are doing, and um, it was a close game. I think they were they were within a point in the fourth quarter, and uh, Harden started to do Harden things, which is look really slow but get around everybody. Yeah, and uh, draw an insane amount of fouls. He's really good at that. And um, on one particular foul. Brandon Ingram was assessed a charging, or sorry, a blocking foul. He took exception to that, pushed Harden, then got in the ref's face about it a little bit. And what what I was confused by did Harden was Harden trash talking or something, or or what was that all about? Because I, no. I I didn't see any like, interaction between him and Harden. Why did he choose to push him? Well, so I think I think what he was upset about, at least what what some analysts were saying who who were on the on the floor, was that. He had he had been kind of tricked by Harden a few times. Uh, he thought Harden actually pushed him on the foul. He thought it should have been an offensive foul. And if you've watched Harden's game, he does bait people in the fouls, and he does initiate contact a lot of the time on those fouls. And so I think as a defender, sometimes you can feel like the refs aren't allowing you to guard him, right? I think Ingram got a little bit of that. He wasn't having a great game himself. He was frustrated, and so... Uh, he, so he took it out on, on, on Harden and, and pushed him uh, after the foul call. And, and then, of all people, Lance Stevenson comes in and plays Peacemaker, grabs Ingram. Sorry, could you say that last sentence again? Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever said it before. Lance, Ingram, or Lance, Lance Stevenson comes in, wraps up Ingram, and moves him out of, away from Harden and the ref and plays Peacemaker. Um, and so we think... Okay, there's a technical foul on Ingram for pushing. We think it's all over. The broadcast kind of thinks it's over. They're focusing on Ingram, and then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of bunch of motion uh, over to the uh, over on the side of the screen, and the cameras focus in on it, and you see Rondo swinging at Chris Paul, connecting on a left. Chris Paul swinging back, connecting with a right, and uh, Ingram comes flying in like Dalsim and punches. A bunch of CP3 from the three-point line. Sorry, was that a Street Fighter reference? That was. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have picked a better, because that's what it looked like. Yeah. He's, the, he's the stretchy guy, the one that when he punches, his arm goes like really far across the screen. Yeah. That was a phenomenal comparison by you. Thank you. That's uh, good work. It, and no one knows what's happening. No one understands why Rondo and CP3 started fighting. Everyone knows they have a bad history. They don't like each other. Um, but what brought them to blows? And so... A video surfaced today, and, and Chris Paul maintained from the moment of the fight that he was upset that Rondo had spit in his face. And so, in retaliation for the spit, CP3 pokes Rondo in the eye. Yeah, and when I first saw the video, I thought, what is Chris Paul doing? He's just poking him in the eye and starting this fight. But then, like, 
all the Twitter sleuths and everyone got in on this and like started zooming in really close on Rondo and what he did for the entire you know altercation. Yeah. And you can actually see the spit fly. Now I don't know if it was intentional. It seems like it probably was. It didn't look like some accidental spit. But it but at the same time it wasn't like a lot of spit. Like it wasn't <laughs> I think he could have it, it it was uh, I mean look at this. Yeah. Look, look at what's happening with us, right? We spend a little bit of time talking about football, a little bit of time breaking down baseball in a few plays. We're breaking down the NBA and we're talking about how much spit flew out of Rajon Rondo's <laughs> mouth. Like this is how the NBA takes over our lives. I need to know the volume of spit. <laughs> this is very important to me. Um, Get CSI in there right now. So anyways, players had to be separated. Refs issued technicals and ejections. Um, Ingram, CP3, Rondo were all tossed. Ingram got a four-game suspension. Rondo got a three-game. And CP3 got a two-game suspension. Um, so, I mean, I'm going back and forth about this. On one hand, I think, well, that's good for the Lakers. They have some fight in them. At the other hand, it's like, what? This was a silly thing to fight about. Like, it, it's not like it's not like they were defending themselves. It's not like uh, I, it feels like it was just more out of frustration than anything. And that's the worst. That's the worst kind of fight to be in is because you're frustrated with yourself. Yeah. And how much film did they watch on Harden before this game? Because if Ingram was frustrated and surprised that Harden was getting foul calls and he was drawing a lot of fouls, no one should be surprised by that at this point. That should be expected all the time. But I love how your Laker fandom shows so strong when you're like, okay, they got in a big brawl. That's a good sign. Yeah. I'm going to find something positive to pull out of this. Yeah, I mean, overall, I still, it's, I don't take away very many positive things from this. Um, but here, let me, let me just quote Ingram. <laughs> I, think it, I think his quote somewhat encapsulates how I feel, although I disagree with a lot of it. It says, it's my full, he's talking about the play. He says, it's my full responsibility. I think I'm the one that caused, caused the action, and I'm going to take full responsibility for every action that I did. A hundred percent that I was wrong for my teammates, but I also stepped up for my teammates, and that is what I'm going to do ten times out of ten. So it seems like maybe he didn't learn much from this experience, and maybe he should have been suspended more than four games for it to sink in how bad this really was. Um, I mean, imagine if Chris Paul were actually injured from that punch. Like, I think it maybe just barely glanced him or maybe didn't even really connect at all. But if it like broke a nose or something or he was or, or his like eye socket and he was sidelined for a month or two. Um, I mean, that's a big deal. Like these are professional athletes who are very strong and they can do a lot of damage with these punches. It was even almost, though they're not trained. Right. It was almost as bad as a shortstop kicking a first baseman trying to run through the base. Right. Oh, when he dragged his foot? When Manny Machado dragged his foot? Yeah. Kicked him. Yeah. There was no kick. There was a drag. Um, anyways, I I don't know. I don't I don't I don't condone the fight. You all know I'm a pacifist. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um and so I, I'm disappointed. At the same time, I'm excited because this opens up some playing time for Lonzo, which I think he needs. Rondo's gonna be out three games. Lonzo was the second best player on the on the court, or at least on the Lakers roster. Uh, behind LeBron James. And I think some more time with them on the court, he's going to start tonight. Um, I think that's what he needs. He's finally working his way back from an injury. So I'm going to take the positive out of this as much as I can. I look forward to seeing some more uh, Ball and Kuzma in in the starting lineup.
So Adam wants me to sing for this next part. I will not because I respect my co-host space. Thank you, David. You're welcome. You know what would be great? Something called reciprocation. R e s p e c t. No, no, I did not. myself to me. I think it's actually K r e mudgeon. You don't know how to spell curmudgeon. So Adam was getting on us for being curmudgeons while we took a little break there. Adam, do you want to explain yourself? David, you're a mudgeon. Sorry, curmudgeon. Big difference. Big difference. Anthony's usually a mudgeon, but thank you. Talk about Lakers. He gets a little curmudgeony. I don't know if I quite agree with Adam's assessment of the podcast. <laughs> a couple of curmudgeons having some fun. Whatever. In my personal life, I'm quite the mudgeon. I really am. Maybe I just like put the cur in my back pocket and bring it out for the uh, for the podcast. Should we do Fantastic Five? Okay. <laughs> All right. It's time for this week's Fantastic Five headlines. Anthony, go. Lioness at zoo kills father of her cubs in unprovoked attack. Uh, Why is unprovoked in quotation marks? <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask the headline writer. Okay. But I did read the story, and apparently it's super rare that a female would kill the, the father of her cubs. Um, but apparently this relationship between the mother and father were was unusual from the beginning. She always dominated him, which in the Lion Kingdom... Is super rare. Usually, it's the male that you know that leads the herd or the pride, right? And is dominating the females. They had kind of reverse roles in this relationship, and so I guess she went all praying mantis on him when she uh, she got her cubs. She basically choked him out. <laughs> they they heard they heard some some weird roaring from the uh, the lion cage or the lion den and uh, checked on him. And and uh, the female whose name is Nyak. Uh, <laughs> had Zuri, the husband, the, the male lion. Oh, sorry, flip that. Zuri had Nyak by the neck and uh, basically crushed his throat. So till he died. This worked out for Nala and Simba in the Lion King. So I don't know why they couldn't make it work out. Yeah. Um, all's fair in love and war. Does that apply here? Headline number two, thousands of Swedes are inserting microchips under their skin. Ooh. So uh, this is all in an effort to get rid of ID badges, essentially. You like have an ID badge to get into your workplace or you have a key card to get into your apartment building. These, uh, these microchips underneath your skin are providing basically that same, that same um, uh, efficiency. And so... I can see why people may be drawn to this, um, but there was a pretty concerning quote uh, in the story I read about it. Um, essentially, one scientist was quoted as saying, quote, everything is hackable. Um, that does not put me at ease. I don't think I'll be getting this microchip soon. I have no real problem just kind of taking out my ID badge and swiping it here or there. Um, but this kind of it kind of scares me for the future of like where we're going with like biotechnology. So creepy. I'm sure we'll have more bioengineering headlines in the many years to come as we continue to do this. Right, David? Bring it on. Make my life easier. Put something in my eyeball. Put something in my ear. I don't care. Make me superhuman. That'd be dope. I just I just worry about like the first time one gets infected. 
I worry about the first time someone does get hacked and it's like you're at the ER and someone like steals your personal information and then like you're unconscious and someone runs off with your with your personality and your <laughs> and everything. Headline number three, family pleads for return of 50 pound nose sculpture. A, a what? A 50 pound nose sculpture. So this Oregon family uh, for the past year or so has had a sculpture of a nose on their front porch. Of course, Oregon. And uh, actually, yeah, they said the reason they had it was because uh, they liked they liked playing their part in keeping Oregon weird. Uh, good, good work by you. You are fulfilling keep, your yeah. Keep Portland weird. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Keep Portland weird. Good, good work. Yeah. Um, so apparently this weekend it was stolen. Their giant nose was stolen from the front porch. Which of course is weird. So again, good job. And they're offering a six dollar and twenty seven cent reward for anyone who returns it. Now this reward was offered up by the children of the family. Ah. Uh, they asked their parents if they could uh, offer a two thousand dollar reward. Hmm. That was vetoed, okay. and so they uh, they went with what they had in their uh, <laughs> in their sock drawer, I guess, and they came up with six dollars and twenty seven cents. So you uh, could get yourself a five dollar foot long if you find a giant nose somewhere in Portland and return it to uh, to this poor family. I'll get my ticket. I'm on my way to Oregon. Headline number four. Meth disguised as Aztec calendars seized in California. So we have a lot of like drug trafficking stories that come up on the show. Um, sometimes it's hiding cocaine in fruit. Um, so I feel like you're leading to something. You're, I feel like you're lobbing something out to me, so I'm just going to jump in here for a second. Okay. So I'm really upset that it's taken us a couple of weeks to get to this, but on one of our shows you talked about what would be a better fruit for hiding drugs in, and right away I went coconuts. Yes. For some reason, I just knew that answer. Don't ask me why. I just knew. Yep. Right? Like the next day, the next day, the next day, there was a story about people finding cocaine in coconuts. And I was so upset that we haven't revisited it, and you just gave it back to me, so I appreciate that. And I, right away, I called them cocaine yeah. nuts. Well, I'm just afraid we're giving too much free advice to criminals, um, and they're actually taking it. So, in this instance, there was 26 pounds of of methamphetamine that was seized by uh, Homeland Security Investigations, which uh, apparently is a subdivision of ICE. And uh, they tried to mail from California to Hawaii these Aztec calendars. They were like uh, these discs that that have some kind of ancient Aztec writing on them, I guess to help some, I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those predict the future ones or not, but uh, I guess the, the criminals couldn't see far enough into the future to <laughs> to not try and mail these at the post office. So again, if you're trying to mail drugs, talk to a professional first. Apparently talk to us because we got it all figured out. <laughs> Headline number five, employee falls into mall's shark tank during feeding time. What is with people going into shark tanks? What is it with the abundance of shark tanks? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of shark tanks. We like to surround ourselves with things that can eat us for some Apparently. reason. I mean, we keep making movies about that exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, so there was, there's a Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. That's what I was going for. There's this mall in China and we're back. <laughs> there's a mall in China. The land before time. We're fascinated with dinosaurs and there's sharks. an aquarium inside the, the mall. Jaws. It acts as a bridge. Sharknado. And on top of the bridge. Sharknado 2. There's a hatch and it's the feeding hatch. I ran out of shark movies. And so Ooh, my turn, my turn. Go. Shark Tales. Shark Tales. That one's not really scary. It's a cartoon about 
Finding Nemo. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. I tried. Yeah, well, good effort by Adam. Mm. I, I appreciate that. Mm. <laughs> so it was during feeding time. The hatch was open. The mall, uh, mall employee was late for a meeting, and so you're not supposed to take the bridge during feeding time because the hatch is open. But the fastest way to her meeting was across the bridge. So she ran, and uh, it looks like she may have tripped a little bit. She fell. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. Yeah, stop, stop. <laughs> guys, guys, we stop laughing at the lady who almost, or did she die? We haven't gotten to the end yet. Yeah, she uh, she trips, falls into the open hatch, and um, is stuck inside the shark aquarium during feeding time for two minutes. It takes two minutes for security to get there. Two security cards jumped in and, and got her out. Um, so Baller move. Those yeah. guys are dope. Yeah, and it's all on video. So um, pretty cool. Good job, China. They See, this is what happens when you have security guards, right? When you have security guards on duty, they stop criminal behavior. They stop negligent behavior. They stop accidents from turning into deadly accidents. Canadian Aquarium, get yourself some Chinese security guards. Swedish cathedrals, get yourself some Chinese security guards. They know how it's done. That bank in China, get yourself some of your own security guards. Stop letting snakes infiltrate your banks. Just make sure the security guards in China are not Indiana Jones. He won't help you with the snake problem. Because he hates snakes. Right? Good into the segment, guys. I like that. The NFL this week, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It was just really fun to see Mahomes and that offense clicking again. That is one of the most exciting things in the NFL going right now. Uh, those skill guys are super impressive, and they're going to be impressive for a long time. I feel like Kareem Hunt is like what the makers of Tech Mobile saw in Bo Jackson when they made Tech Mobile. Right? Because like you give him the ball and he runs for 100 yards and he scores every time and he only has one play. They're like, wow, this Bo Jackson guy must be amazing. Now, Kareem Hunt is like the, the like, human manifestation of the Bo Jackson from Tech Mobile. He is a monster and he's going to be really good for a really long time. Right? So, Blake Bortles finally gets benched, right? Bortles! <laughs> he finally gets benched, right? And... I'm thinking finally someone is listening to our podcast in the Jaguars organization. Finally someone well, is listening to me. Well done, Jags. Yeah. And then I, I found a, a quote by a Jags head coach a little while later saying that, no, no, Bortles is still our guy and he's going to start next week. <laughs> but this was a, consider this a warning. I feel like this is like, you know, those guys who have been like with the same girl for seven years but they haven't proposed. They're like, still trying to get to know her, right? Like, don't want to jump into this too soon. It's like, they, they, they can't make a decision on Bortles. So we're just going to keep dating him forever. And, and we can change him. We can change him. He'll change. He loves me and he'll change for me. Meanwhile, Jalen Ramsley is like, he will not. Let's get him out of here. I mean, Cody Kessler is still in the league. Who? Cody Kessler. He came in and he... What's a, what's a Cody Kessler? A Cody Kessler is a professional football player. Oh. According to some accounts. Mm -hmm. And he came in to replace Blake Bortles. And I was hoping they were going to go Cody Kessler. I really was. Because get Bortles out of my life. You know what's funny? Is if I were to start Blake Bortles or Cody Kessler on my fantasy team, I would have done better this week than who I actually started. Who did you start? Uh, a certain... Uh, three-time Super Bowl champion by the name of Ben Roethlisberger. 
<laughs> he was on a buy this week. He had a buy this week. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm the guy who forgot to update his lineup. Here's the here's the kicker though. I uh, my kicker was Dan Bailey. No, but bad joke. Oh, bad joke. Adam, can you edit that one out? <laughs> I needed even not starting a quarterback or starting a quarterback who had a buy. I was down 15 points coming into tonight's game, into tonight's Monday night football matchup. I have Odell Beckham Jr. 16.4 points by the Giants wide receiver. I am uh, 0.9 points ahead, and my opponent has no more players uh, left to play. So looks like I will win this week not having a quarterback produce at all for me. Sony Slay Station, I hope you listen to this, and I hope you feel so much shame. <laughs> okay, to wrap up the NFL, oh, David, did you want to say something about perhaps the greatest kicker of all time? So Justin Tucker, aforementioned Justin Tucker, who uh, is in the Buick commercials with, uh, <laughs> you know, making fun of Matthew McConaughey's Buick commercials, which is super awesome. But he had made over 200 point after attempts in his career. 200 in a row, more than 200 in a row. And the Ravens scored to go down one point in their game, and then he misses the extra point. Oh. So it's just... The randomness of kickers, I want that out of my life in football. Now, I realize they have their place, and sometimes you need to feel whatever, but it just feels so upsetting to have a team play so hard and work so hard to have a guy, even the most consistent uh, kicker in the NFL, can come out and miss on any given kick. So it's like, why are we leaving it up to kickers like that? You know what I mean? You know what would be interesting is if you still got your six points for the touchdown, and then you could do a two-point conversion by either kicking a 50-yard field goal or getting the ball at the two and a half yard line. So you, you could go for two in two ways. Going for it in the traditional sense or kicking a 50 yard plus field goal. That way it's like, it's all gravy, right? And if you have a bad kicker, go for the two and a half yards, right? I have a great idea. So after you score, the opponent's long snapper takes the ball from wherever you cross the plane so let's say it's a deep pass in the corner of the end zone, right? Or if you break the plane right at the middle, whatever it is. So the, the long snapper, stay with me. Okay. The long snapper takes the ball wherever the other team first got possession and broke the plane, right? Uh-huh. Wherever it is. On a pass, it could be anywhere in the end zone, but where the runner broke the plane, right? So then the long snapper takes the ball and snaps it as far as he can okay. down the field. And then wherever it lands, wherever it lands, on either hash or in the middle, depending on where it lands, yeah. that's where they have to take the extra point from. So the, uh, or you can do the two-point conversion from the two-and-a-half. Like oh, normal. yeah. Okay. So so that way you can choose, okay, we're going to kick, because if you know the other team's long snapper is really bad. But if you have a long snapper that's really great, and he snaps that thing down to, like, the 30-yard line or the 40-yard line, all of a sudden you have, to do like, a 35, 40-yard field goal for an extra point. That would be awesome. That will never I feel like the room's agreeing with me right now. That will never happen. <laughs> Keep teaching. No. <laughs> okay, the greatest thing you'll hear this week... Two weeks ago, it was the Ganola Gano. We have uh, what, what may become a staple of the show. The best piece of international audio came from the Chicago Bears-New England Patriots game. The Bears were down by seven. Time expiring. Trubisky, the quarterback. <laughs> Trubisky. The, the Bears quarterback throwing a Hail Mary. Let's hear what happened in German. Drei Safeties, alle spielt tief. aber das macht er geschickt. Jetzt, da ist er. Der ist zu kurz. Das war's. 
zu Schande, was für ein letzter Spielzug. Man, was für ein letzter Spielzug. die Wand an, ein Jahr zu kurz gesagt. Guck's dir an, guck's dir an. Jetzt dreht er sich noch, jetzt dreht er sich noch. Warum streckt er den Ball nicht aus? Wahnsinn. Germans coming in strong with the NFL emotion. I love it. So what surprises me the most is Germans apparently know what a catch is. <laughs> is it ein catch? <laughs> we don't. So I really hope, I really hope Sorry my buddy... Sorry if I swore in German, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my buddy Dave, he listens to the podcast, I hope, and he speaks fluent German. So I really hope he listens to this and he can tell me what was going on there. Something about a catch, something about white. I assume they were talking about the player. There was a snitchel. Snitch, snitchel? I don't schnitzel. know. Schnitzel. Schnitzel. I don't think they were talking about Schnitzel. Yeah. Da. <laughs> yeah. That's just good. So, a an Arizona man was searching for gold in the desert and in, in where like in in Egypt in like in California where like gold is known to be. Uh in Arizona in uh Maricopa County. Is is that a thing? Is there gold in Arizona? Uh, well, you won't know unless you search, David. That's true. So he was out searching. Uh, I'm sure, uh, he was very, very, uh, consumed with surveying the land. I don't really know how he searched for gold. But... Obviously. <laughs> he fell into a hundred foot deep mine shaft. And he died, right? A hundred feet. He's dead. No. He broke both his legs. Spelunking champion. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, he broke both his legs. He's sitting down at the bottom of this mine shaft, um, and he's fending off rattlesnakes. <laughs> so he's there. He's there for two days. He's calling for help. No one's coming, and um, <laughs> and he has to kill three different rattlesnakes um, while he's basically immobile. Right? I'm. I can't wait for this TV movie. Six-year-old uh, dude. Already had two artificial knees, broke both his legs, and he's defending himself from wild rattlesnakes. I'm just, I'm speechless. This man is my hero. Yeah. First of all, surviving the 100-foot fall is enough, right? So you survive a 100-foot fall, and you are a Superman, right? You break both your legs, and you survive it for a couple days. Again, you're a Superman, right? And then you fight off three deadly creatures who are upset that you're in their house. This man is, he's a hero. Yeah, and he, not only not only like is he some kind of survival expert, but he was smart enough to tell his friend where he was going and to say, "If I don't come back in two days, come look for me." And it was his friend who stumbled upon the mine shaft and heard him yelling. Two days later. Yeah, two days later, and so he sent some water down the mine shaft and called uh, called uh, for rescue rescue to come in, and they they got him out, and he's recovering in the hospital. Obviously, you know. Had this this nightmarish ordeal, but he, he made it out, right? So, one of our more hopeful uh, closing stories, and uh, actually one that has resolution, and it's happy resolution. I don't know how I feel about that. I know, I feel kind of weird. I feel like one of the snakes needs to get away yeah, or something, or like there needs to be a llama being left like mysteriously. There needs to be some mystery. Yeah, tune in next week when a Mongolian yak robs a Scandinavian bank. And no one can find him. <laughs>